Welcome to another football podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything football, Liga Mankeys in English, El Tri in English, and Mexicans abroad. Uh, thank you guys for following us and enjoying our podcast. This is episode three. With me, the one and only, you know him, you love him, you follow his experience in Mexico with all the Liga Mankeys back-to-back games and super jealous of him, like I've mentioned before, and Tom Harrison, how are you? I'm pretty good, yeah. It's 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 cold, but I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. Just chilling <laughs> while you're out in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today, what's on today's menu? Well, for some reason, this Liga Mekis past weekend, we had a lot of good action, so we're going to talk about some of those Liga Mekis games, and obviously we're going to talk a little bit about El Tri. Um, and what's going on and the call-up that they just recently have for the next two upcoming friendlies. So it's going to be the menu of today's episode. And let's just get started with Liga Mekis. Um, first game, I'm going to get started because it was probably the first game of the Liga Mekis week. Veracruz versus Leon, where, yes, my Leon did win 4-0. Um, I mean, that pretty much sums it up, Tom. Leon won. Leon won. They played well. You know, all the Fieras fans, they really enjoyed it. It gave us some hope. Um, I think they had five, they had, you know, interesting. They had five shots on target and got four goals. Uh, great possession over the whole game. Um, interesting because I think this was um, Calero's first uh, start to the Liga Mekis, uh, to Liga Mekis game because he's had plenty of starts in Copa Mekis. So I was pretty excited to see him start um, in a Liga Mekis game. He was a left wing, and then his partner on the right wing was Meneses, which he got a pretty, uh, he got a pretty good performance in that game. Goals from the one and only Boselli. Montes had two goals. Uh, one of them was a penalty, and Walter, because we see Walter back in action with Ambriz. He kind of went MIA with Gustavo Diaz. He's coming back on that scoreboard. Um, Veracruz versus Leon. What do you think? I think first of all it's interesting the the timing of the sacking and the fact that Ambris came in before a game against Lobos and a game against Veracruz. Obviously a, a wonderful opportunity to get a good off to a good start. Plus, of course, the opportunities in Copa Mekis, which um, with with the penalty victory uh, against Pumas, you know, after the win against Nicaxa has gone very well. The game against Lobos didn't go well, but against Veracruz it was as dominant a performance in many ways. I think that you'll you'll see throughout Liga Mekis this season. Veracruz were very poor. Um, they one completely dominated the game, particularly towards the end. It was like Veracruz had pretty much given up and Leon were in so much control that there's a um, a player that came on as a substitute with 22 minutes to go, a youngster called uh, Julio Tejeda. Uh, he came on with 22 minutes to go and he only managed to touch the ball once. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> that's how dominant Leon were uh, towards the end of the game. I mean, Leon, it was a huge victory, especially, you know, Veracruz is not the best team, but a victory that definitely boosts Leon up on the table, currently sitting in 13 place with 13 points. Um, so they have a couple of matches left, and it's looking pretty bright, like the type of season where Leon is very inconsistent, yet they somehow sneak in to the playoffs, and, you know, Leon is in, in a different um 
they're in a different mode when they are in playoffs. Um, so yeah, thank you for Leon's victory. I really appreciate Leon winning. Makes me happy. Uh, moving along to Atlas versus Toluca. This game, oh my God, Atlas won. They won. And scoreboard 2-0. Yes, you heard that right. Atlas did beat Toluca. Um, we all know that their big victory, not their big victory, but they got uh, and a goal versus Tigres. So now Atlas has a total of three goals <laughs> this whole season. And I swear, I think when we were watching the game, like we were all screaming the goal like if Mexico had scored against you know Germany it was just so like oh my god Atlas scored like this is really happening against Toluca a team who's been pretty consistent you know has always been consistent this Liga Mekis season um what you think about Atlas's victory it was almost like a bizarre party in the Jalisco wasn't it you said about yeah, about the celebrations when, when the goals went in. There was such relief, I think, and joy from the Atlas fans for finally seeing some goals, first home goals of the season and a, a victory to celebrate. Um, one of the goals coming from Jefferson Duque, who I, mean, I forgot he, he was still around. Uh, and I don't think he scored in Liga Mekis for a good two or three years. The second two years, I think. Yeah, yeah. The second goal they scored to seal it as well was absolutely fantastic. Um, Abwagi off the bench. What he's doing on the bench, I've absolutely no idea. But he, he comes off the bench, um, puts in a, a superb cross, and Ulises Cardona hits it first time on the volley. Fantastic goal. A uh, really great way to seal it, and good for Atlas. I mean, look, they. The fact that they'd only scored one goal this season is the most is the biggest statistical anomaly I've ever seen because they've managed over a hundred shots. Yes, the the number of big chances they've created is the lowest in the league. So most uh, most of the shots they have aren't great quality chances. But to score one from over a hundred shots is just I don't know, I'm Insane. not sure I'm not sure it's ever happened before <laughs> anywhere. So it was insane, and uh, yeah, they. They deserve, they, they deserve a win. You know, it's funny you mentioned about Atlas because if people have been following you, I think you've tweeted at that graph where um, Atlas is not even on the graph, which is pretty funny, but it's pretty accurate. And it's kind of insane when you talk statistics about how Atlas is <laughs> just insane. Um, but it's a great win. I mean, they're 18th. 18 with five points and they beat Toluca who's in six with 19 points I mean it's just this just de determines how anything can happen in Liga Mekis and I think that's why we love it it's like unexpected Atlas beating Toluca anything can happen in the league okay moving on to Pachuca versus Cruz Azul and this was a great game this was a game where um, Ulloa Excuse me, Ujoa, like Tom has had me practice, and I keep slacking on it because I think it's Ujoa, how probably 75% of us say it, but it's not like that. Um, sums four goals in that week. He scored a hat trick um, in Copa Mekis, added another one versus Cruz Azul, and the MVP of the night was Guzman. He had a hat trick of three assists. It was insane watching him on the wing feeding 
um it was just it was just awesome um but Chica was just very affected they had 20 shots 11 on target they had more passes than Cruz Azul and then Cruz Azul was just chaotic they had two reds one early in the earlier in the game it was just a Cruz Azul that was not you, you could not recognize it a Cruz Azul like this but I think that's just how some games go it's a hit or miss what you think about Pachuca versus Cruz Azul Interesting that Pachuca um, lined up with three centre-backs and they, they went with a bit of a different approach uh, this game and, and it obviously was very, very effective and they mirrored that in Copa Mekis where, and where they got the, the penalty victory against Tigres as well. Guzman uh, played uh, a little bit wider at times because of the system, because of you know, him and Aguirre were kind of playing either side of Ajoa and he was absolutely outstanding. And what's remarkable about Guzman is that he's managed to hit as many key passes or chances created this season in nine games that he did in 20 last season. And for a long, long time, I've been saying, you know, look, this guy as someone who makes late runs into the box, gets on the end of crosses, finishes chances, is phenomenal. He's a great goal-scoring attacking midfielder, but I never thought he had enough else to his game to to be really effective if he if it was a game where he didn't find the back of the net. Uh, and and as and as an attacking midfielder rather than a striker, that's a big problem. And um, I still don't think he's a great dribbler. Certainly not, but. He's adding creativity to his game this season that we haven't seen before. His range of passing is a lot, looking a lot more impressive than it has done. So uh, it's very pleasing and impressive development. And he's pushing himself up to the top of the queue in terms of uh, players for Mexico. You know, he's certainly, in terms of form this season, he's moved ahead of Rodolfo Pizarro. Definitely. I think we've all seen how Pizarro has slowly faded away. So now seeing a kid like this come in and it's just the wow factor of Pachuca. And I think he just keeps getting better and better. Definitely. Uh, it's it's amazing how they keep doing this. These players that uh, Diego Alonso moves from d more defensive positions just keep on getting better. Definitely. And I think, I mean, even with this loss, Rasul is still in first place because I think oh because America had the opportunity to if they won they went after first place but that did not happen so a lot of people were questioning Rasul like you know everybody was like well from the start they looked like a near nearly perfect team like what's going on but I think it's normal I think if we look back how you and me were talking about how we were excited about Rasul and how they invested in these Liga Mekis already established players they're making good moves for a long-term plan so if they qualify La Liga and they don't make it to the final I don't think we should again bring redundant but I don't think we should just totally bash on them but I'm Crespo will definitely bounce back and I can definitely see them in La Liga and then we'll see from there but I mean Pachuca just clearly dominated that game it was insane it was pretty fun to watch um, and then I was este Roberto Alvarado didn't start for Crespo I was surprised there he came on off bench second half it was a weird team in, in general from Crucesul to be honest you know Salas playing over Baca um, Renteria and Montoya getting in the team ahead of Alvarado you know Mendes Mena both on the bench so 
there was a few changes. It was um, curious why Kashinia picked the the lineup that he did. Interesting. Um, moving on to Nicaxa versus Santos. Number fifteen, Nicaxa versus number three, Santos. Well. It was an interesting game. Uh, Nekaxa had total possession, that's 66% of possession. They had 517 passes compared to Santos had like less than half. And, you know, you, you and me had commented what was up with the lineup because uh, Davila was not in the starting lineup. So we were kind of questioning like what was going on. Uh, he did eventually sub in second half, but he took Vialpando, who I was like, you can't just take one and, you know, take take one out and put the other one in. Like, I want them both on the same field, and that did not happen. Um, but that match, I mean, Matias and Vialpando and, Gul- and Guli kept taking all these shots, and, you know, nothing was going in. Um, Santos obviously have um, their AKA Giraffe, for just his nickname. Um, he has eight goals so far for the season. I mean, he's just a really great good strike there that's always consistent um and for me i think a player that stood out for santos was the goalie uh carlos acevedo 22 years old um wow (laughs) i really enjoyed watching him and um just thinking taking this into another topic i could see him probably in the next four years maybe giving the opportunity to go to qatar i think it's a player that he has grown through santos started there he's 22 years old 26 by the time it's uh, World Cup Qatar, so I can definitely see. Hopefully, anybody is watching him, um, get him an opportunity. But what did you think about Nekaxa versus Santos? Because you clearly watched this game, and one of your favorite players, Vialpando, was playing. Uh, for me, a lesson in, uh, and uh, comes back to something I was saying about Atlas, a lesson in the importance of creating quality chances. Like you said, Nekaxa had a lot of effort at some goal. They had tons of possession. They they dominated most of the game. Uh, the lineup was interesting, going with a, a diamond midfield, which was a big change from Leano to play to get Pena in there, who um, he, he believes is you know back in form. And I think Pena's shown bright sparks. He hasn't hit the heights of obviously what he was at and Leon, but he's showing uh, glimpses that he's getting somewhere back to his best, which we obviously haven't seen for a few years, unfortunately. And, and the Kaxa did play some some great stuff as as they often have done, but most of their shots were long range efforts. Um, they weren't high quality chances. Yeah, Matias and Dita and Pena they can they can hit good shots, but from outside the box you're always unlikely to find the back of the net. Um, only just over thirteen percent of all goals in Nigamekis this season have been scored from shots from outside the box, and so. Yeah, Acevedo played well, but he he was given the opportunity to make a lot of saves, I think. And, uh, you know, Nekaxa created one really good chance and Badagan sort of stumbled and fell over. Apart from that, I was really, really impressed with Santos from a defensive perspective. What they did so well was close down Nekaxa. Every time Nekaxa were getting anywhere near the Santos penalty area, looking dangerous, it was there was constantly a player, a Santos player pressing. There was constantly a man in front uh, to make it difficult for Nakaxa to stop them from progressing forward. So I thought Santos dealt with Nakaxa very, very well. And 
although they didn't have much of the game they didn't do much like I said it comes down to quality of chances they crucially exploited the one error that Nakaksa made and Futch uh, had that chance the header from close range it was a high quality chance and a guy like him is unlikely to miss them so <laughs> it was one of those where Santos kind of they, they played it well they were clever mm -hmm. about how they played that game um, Nakaksa again lots of lots of good stuff without producing the real high quality chances that you normally need to find the back of the net definitely um, I think you said it well Santos played it well like they knew what they had to do to get the job done and all it took was that one goal and it was the end it was kind of like the end of the game pretty much and they were a lot more direct um, and more defensive than they've been throughout most of this season so they definitely adapted their game to playing against the second most possession based side in the league after Tigres this season that's interesting interesting stat um, Nagaxa currently sitting at fifth. well they have 14 points currently sitting on uh, 15 on the table they have 18 points left for grabs which means their next matches are versus Veracruz Leon Atlas Pachuca Monterrey and Querétaro uh, do I think they have the potential definitely how many points could they get I could possibly argue they could probably get 12 points in the remaining of um, the Liga Mekis league and they could they could sneak in is they just really need to turn on their game and you know really concrete those opportunities and those goals that they're missing it's a decent run-in, you know. It's definitely a, a decent run-in. There's a lot of winnable games there, so... Interesting. Interesting to see how they do. Yes. Yeah, so, let's move on to one of the one of the two Liga Mickey's games that you got to go this weekend. Because, as we all know, we all follow you, and we all see all the cool stuff that... Um, all the cool stadiums and, you know, everything that you get to live through these Liga Mekis games. And you got to attend the Pumas versus Puebla. Um, but also you did get to watch, um, what was it, the Sub? So I uh, Sub-20, yeah, I went to the Sub-20 first of all. It was a long day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long day of football. Um, but Pumas versus Puebla, Pumas sitting at fifth. Puebla number 12. Um, it was an interesting game. Pumas was up 2-0 and Puebla ended up tying them at the end, which a lot of people questioned. And they also questioned Pumas in general just because I think Pumas, we had mentioned that they were doing really great at the beginning of the season, but um, I don't. I think I said something about that. They always fail at the end or they're very inconsistent and if you take a look I mean their wins if you take a look at the games they've won and who they've won against against Leon against Atlas Necaxa Lobos Veracruz like can we really give them the merit that they've been really good just because they've won against those teams who have kind of been really consistent and very poor I mean I remember when we we spoke about them earlier you said that your prediction was that they'd drop down to about 7th or 8th and they made Ligia but it would be just about getting in and then they wouldn't do much in it and as they slowly slip down the table that prediction looks to becoming more and more correct to be honest the game against Puebla was a game I really enjoyed I thought it was quite a good one um, Puebla gave away a couple of poor goals early on 
uh, very, I mean, the penalty was very, very uh, rash challenge, stupid decision. But at 2 0 up, Pumas, you thought it was, <laughs> it felt like game over in many ways. And I think the, the crowd felt that way. And Puebla came back really, really well. And um, they, they switched things up at half time. They changed formation. They took off a defender and added uh, another attacking player. Went from, from five at the back to 4 3 3. And they consistently managed to get in behind Pumas' defense, which without Aribas at, uh, in centre back does look pretty, pretty porous. And yeah, Puebla deserve their point in the end um, they like I said they, they kept getting in behind the Pumas defence and creating chances and uh, they came away with a point they, they were very very happy with Was Adibas injured or he was out because of card do you know he's been out for a while so I'm pretty sure he's injured I think it's like probably the second time he's been out on injury so I'm questioning like it has is there no other legit replacement when he's hurt because I mean it's clearly like you said killing them so what else can they do well I mean they're, they're putting their faith in uh, two players from the Cantera I mean Luis Quintana isn't exactly young now but he, he is a, an academy product and um, obviously playing alongside Pablo Jacques at the moment so it's a team that's full of academy products and people aren't really talking about this to be honest because there's no real standout young star that's come through Pumas that's making it with uh, L3 right now. But the the whole back line against Puebla, keeper, four defenders, all from the Cantera. Kevin Escamilla in midfield. Um, you know, these are a lot of Cantera players in the squad right now. They may not be top, top quality, but they're doing all right. That's interesting. I think I never got to pay attention and see how many of the Cantera players are actually starting. And I mean, you mentioned the back line and that's that's just a lot because if we look at other teams, it's rare when a Mexican is on the field. It's like two, three count it sometimes. So definitely cool. But, you know, maybe my prediction will come true. Maybe the <laughs> it's just Pumas is Pumas and Pumas is, has been horrible at home this season so it kind of reminds me of Chivas what they were last season at home so they're not looking so good at home um, especially the remaining of the Liga Mekis uh, season if they have games at home I mean I guess there was only one way to find out um, now two for two you lived your first Clasico oh my god you lived your first Clasico that's, that's like a dream uh, Clásico de Clásicos, América versus Chivas. And we both know that they both got eliminated in Copa Mekis. Neither one of them came really good. Um, but talk to me about your, before we dig into the game, because I think we saw two totally different games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk to me about your experience living uh, a Liga Mekis, Clásico, América versus Chivas in El Azteca. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Really, really incredible. I think what really I mean one of the things I love about Liga Mekis is the fact that fans sit together right and this is something that is so alien to me because it's something that never happens in the UK you have your home section your away section and if you're an away fan in the home section and you jump up to celebrate your team scoring you get kicked out that's what happens mm. intense so, so that the way it works in Mexico is 
so different and it's something that I noticed right from the start and I absolutely loved and then to to see that normally is cool and I, I really like it to see that in a classical is just a whole nother level because you've got two sets of fans that are so passionate about the game that are singing that are um shouting you know making fun of each other making fun of each other's teams uh and getting yeah so intensely into the game and creating such a loud and exciting and emotional atmosphere but they managed to do all of this without any sort of trouble or aggression or negativity whatsoever and even though obviously america fans were devastated at the end they still were singing for their team they was they were still um you know families that had uh, split allegiances weren't falling out they were still getting along there were still people taking pictures together friends all just enjoying the game supporting their team creating a great atmosphere but without any negativity and for me it was just the best possible atmosphere i could imagine so to experience it firsthand was amazing. That's awesome. And I, I think we've mentioned, you've had told me this before, how it's different for you seeing like a family that's like half Chivas, half America, but they still sit next to each other. They still look, you know, watch the game. They live it, they have fun. And I think that's what's beautiful about it. I feel like even though there's a rivalry, there's still that respect and that fun because it's a sport. Um, they shouldn't be taken to extreme measures like we've seen before mm. and sometimes i think we we know it's happening but we just don't say it but we should not take it to those extremes um but i'm really glad you enjoyed a classical because it's it's something incredible uh, it's kind of like the first time you experience it it's, you're never going to forget it you're always going to want to have that feeling being at a game living that and just how the game was pretty dramatic at the end i mean we all saw the video you recorded and it was it was it was pretty cool because it was the last play of the game. It was a, a a penalty where it gave the three points to either team, and for it to end like that, I mean, what do you think? It was yeah, it was the perfect perfect end. It really was. I mean, you said about us having different perspectives on the game because you watched it on TV. I was there, and. When you're there, obviously the atmosphere of everything, it, it, t it takes you over. And for me, the way the game went was perfect for being in the stadium because it started off exciting. Then there was a lull before half time, after half time, and it was quiet and it, and it wasn't very interesting. Like you said, you were saying about the quality being pretty poor. Uh, but that lull sort of then can't remember exactly why but it started to build and there was an atmosphere that was building within the stadium and it, it, you felt like something was going to happen and then you get that in, that incredible Chivas goal that perhaps should have been disallowed but um, the incredible run from Van Lankin and, and Chivas take the lead and then it was just madness you know the stadium erupted uh, I would personally say that there, there were more Chivas fans in the stadium so um, that made it even more the fact that they took the lead and then for the rest of the game it was Chivas sitting back trying to hold on America attacking and it, uh, it was just madness and then to, f to finish with 
he thought it was heading for a point to finish with uh, the penalty the ultimate dramatic ending you just couldn't have wished for a more perfect game to see in person to be honest interesting yeah you and me have different views of this game <laughs> which I respect because uh, I'm super happy that you lived it in, in, in person obviously it's different um, but I just saw a very dull game poor quality I was frustrated that the commentators were trying to hype this game and like you said there was a a no part was like nothing was happening and they were trying to hype it up like oh my god and there was just no action both teams were very unprecise to me they weren't making those plays that connect there's connected plays that you saw oh my god that was an opportunity for a goal I didn't see that um, it was very frustrating because obviously we know the quality that these two teams have especially she was with the youngster the potential that they have but none of them were making really concrete plays or anything um, obviously, a great miss for this classical was Linus. I think we're, you know, everybody really wanted to see this youngster and his classical. Um, sadly, due to the injury that I still can't get over, um, he was not. And then Chivas, I think you and me had discussed that without trophies and without Orbelin, that's just your mid right there. And it really disoriented Chivas the whole game. Yeah, America started kind of stronger in the first half. Um, Chivas was just not. They just lacked concentration, and they gave America a lot of open space, and America tried to take advantage of it, but they didn't really do anything legit um, in their advantage. And, I mean, obviously that Chivas goal meant a lot. Um, that would be Pulido's second goal in the week because he had one in Copa Mekis. And now in the Clásico, he's kind of trying to bounce back because he had a really dry spell for a while. Um, and Oribe, Oribe kept going up front. He kept he kept wanting his goal and he could not do anything um so it was a very dramatic ending i'm glad you lived it in person because i was living it over here saying oh my god Gudinho, stop it stop it like this would be so legit um and yeah the rest is history right <laughs> definitely His history i won't forget always okay now let's talk about in, let's talk about El Tri and their recent call um, call up to the next two friendlies later this October. Um, let me just quickly go over all the players: um, Hugo Hugo Gonzalez, Raúl Gudiño, uh, Gibran Lajud, Eric Aguirre, Eton Álvarez, Jesús Angulo, Néstor Araujo, Gerardo Arteaga, Jesús Gallardo, Diego Reyes, Shaka Rodríguez, Van Rankin. Jesus Dueñas, Marco Fabián, Jonathan González, Guti, Víctor Guzmán, Roberto Alvarado, uh, Cone Brizuela, uh, Tecatito, Dam, Javier, Javier Güemes, Raúl Jiménez, Chucky Lozano, Henry Martín, and Ángel Saldívar. Surprises. Any surprises for you? There's a few. Go, go. I go mean, I mean, every time Dam makes it into the Mexico squad, I'm, I, I wouldn't Thank say I'm surprised. You. I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but I'm like expecting it. I, I'm disappointed. Let's shall we say I'm I'm stunned. Godinho's in there, to be honest. Uh, it seems to have come off the back of making a 
a penalty save which he gave away himself after what was a really terrible piece of goalkeeping. He got absolutely nowhere near the ball and completely took out Henry Martin. Yes, he saved the penalty, but it wasn't a very good penalty from Mateus Uribe, to be honest. And saving one penalty does not make a good keeper. He has not had a very good season for Chivas so far. So I don't get why he's in there at all. Um, the keepers in general is not... <laughs> they don't look particularly strong. Uh, still... Still not 100% sure of La Hood. Hugo Gonzalez has not had a great season for Necaxa, so... Yeah. Uh, other surprises? We spoke about Duenas before. You know, I obviously you, you said... Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought you'd be happy when you saw him in there. I was surprised to see him in there because I just sort of thought he might be out of the, the national team thinking. But... Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly not. I mean, maybe it's, I don't know, is it an impact of Tuca, perhaps? I would think so. I think it's pretty funny how last podcast where I was just questioning you about him and then this caller comes and the first name I see is Duenas. I'm like, oh my God, this is for real. So It's interesting to see um, that they've once again gone with Angulo and Arteaga, both Santos left-backs. Perhaps again, Angulo is going to play at centre-back, even though he didn't have a great game against Uruguay but obviously it was a very very difficult game against Suarez who was on world class form a couple more that surprised me I'm a bit surprised to see Brissuela in there just again I thought he was kind of forgotten about in terms of the national team although his form has been very very good so I can understand it it was just a surprise to see and then Guemes I mean I I have no idea Yeah, that was a surprise for me. I was like, Guemes, okay, like, what's what has he been doing that he deserves to be called up? Um, so I agree with you on that. Um, obviously, I totally agree with you. Um, I think the whole Gudinho was just because of the Clásico. I don't think he has been good, like you said, this season. Um, this is where I would hope that Carlos Alcevedo gets a you know future call up soon. Um, we got to give, you know, opportunity to these goalies because for once we're not saying Ochoa, Corona. I mean, it's it's starting from zero, starting from scratch. We got to think. Um, let's see, another surprise. Ángel Saldívar. That is my surprise because I was not, I didn't agree with his last call up. So why are they calling him up again? What has he, what has he done from this past one to now to get called up? That is where he's taking... You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Whose place is he taking? Alexis Vega. Although, I mean, you could say the exact same thing about Henry Martin, could you not? Yeah, but... I just... Maybe I'm just so, like... Alexis Vega needs to be... Kick out Henry Martin or kick out Ángel Saldívar and we should be fine. Well, he could kick out at least 10 players in this call-up, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, realistically, right? Yeah. It's... It's bizarre. I don't. I don't understand that. Uh, every single Mexico national team call-up leaves me slightly bemused about something that I just don't understand. And considering um, Vega has been very good this season, he's had a very good season so far, and. We all know about the fact that there is a lack of 
striking talent to replace Chicharito and Jimenez. Mm. And then you add in the fact that they're giving opportunities here to players who <laughs> barely deserve it to be very, very mm-hmm. kind to them, to be honest. Some of the, <laughs> okay. some of the players that are get, getting in, in these squads is like, you're young and you're getting some game time and and that is and you, and you've done okay you've done quite well compared to Vega who's done very well so i just don't understand at all and i can't yeah i can't offer any explanation really to why he he hasn't made it into either of the post world cup mexico squads i'm also questioning abella because i really enjoyed abella this past call-up and he wasn't so that really leaves me a lot of questions yeah Um, i I don't think he's done anything wrong i think van rankin's played very well recently so i can understand his call-up but i bet hasn't done anything wrong um uh, all of this is it's a bit of a mess really isn't it you know we're still in a position where there's no full-time coach Mm -hmm. it's not there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, continuity or progression with this squad it's it's just randomly calling up whoever's in form for the last month <laughs> this, this squad <laughs> appears like that in many ways so yeah but Diego Reyes do we really need to call him up I mean I maybe maybe not um, there's yeah, yeah I mean you could argue that there aren't many centre-backs around right now so um, perhaps yeah having having a more experienced centre back is is not too bad a thing um, I mean remember we're not these aren't going to be really really easy games of course you know Costa Rica Chile we're not talking about terrible terrible teams mm-hmm. and I think Gustavo Matos has just took over Costa Rica which is very interesting because I was slightly, I'm happy for him, but yeah. <laughs> I, my face is slightly upset, but <laughs> it's going to be something special. Um, I just want to throw this out there. Why was your boy Vialpando not called up? Because he is greatly underappreciated because, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> like, I mean, let's put it this way, right? Javier Guemes is a um, is a okay. He's a different midfielder, but he is a midfielder who doesn't. He's he's not a creative midfielder, Guemes, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I can back that. I can back that up. He he's not someone who plays key passes very consistently. Whereas uh, Villalpando is a creative midfielder. He's someone who uh, we saw against Santos. He was very effective at switching the play, playing long passes f- um, to the flank out to Mayorga. He can shoot from distance. He's a great dribbler. He's a, uh, someone who who picks out key passes very very well. Villalpando ha- ha- has a better um, pass efficiency than Guemes this season. So, Guemes is playing safer but missing more passes. So, like, it's just, I don't, I don't understand. No, well, <laughs> he's just underappreciated. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, people don't, people don't get, get it. We'll change things. 
<laughs> who knows? I mean, last time they heard me say Jesus Dueñas and he's on this called up. So what if it happens next call up? What if he actually gets called next time? And it's going to be so mind blowing because we have talked about him and it's not just the hype. It's something that he's demonstrated on the field. And clearly with, you know, all the sticks you're giving, it's a player that's really creative and that serves a lot and can feed you a lot of balls, a lot of creativity. Development of play usually starts from him. So why not? Why not give him those minutes and maybe see a one, two, three year process and could be on bench for Mexico, possible sub. You never know. Nah, he's never going to play for them. He'll never play for oh, the national okay. team. That's what I said I'm last time. That. I'm going to quote that again. I'm sticking <laughs> with it. Not going to happen. <laughs> well, that should be interesting. We're still in search of a Mexican coach, which the talk gets kind of old because we already know that Duca is not going to be so we should all just wrap our heads around that idea that Duca will not take over and the search is on and I don't know how many coaches they already interviewed who these coaches they interviewed are but apparently they're taking their time to pick the right one and I'm hoping they pick the right one because we're looking for a long-term process not a short term which is why they were talking about talks about Tata Martino clearly he still has a contract with um, Atlanta in the MLS till the end of the season and there was like rumors that he would take over to me he's not a long-term process option he had one year with Argentina two with Barcelona he hasn't done bad right now with the current team he's at but I'm just not it's not to my taste to take over I don't know what you think um, I, I don't have many thoughts to be honest I'm you know the, the fact is my disappointment is that uh, the, what appears is what will happen is that they're going to hand the reins to a new coach who may be there for a while, may not be there for a while. And um, when he's gone, everything he's done will, or most things that he's done will be lost, like we've seen with Osorio. So, yeah, there's the long term process for me has to be about much more than the head coach because we have to accept that the head coach could go at any time because that's that's the life of a, a head coach especially when you're national team manager of Mexico so yeah the life expectancy <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not long it's not long and so yeah it's the the madness is if you know that someone's probably not going to be there for that long is giving too much power to that someone it's, it's just not clever it's not how you run things um, you obviously you give certain day to day stuff like you know some individual tactics to adjust to certain teams and things like that but in terms of like how you actually want to build things in the long term it shouldn't all be down to one guy I agree I agree with you I mean, I guess we're just going to have to wait till they make up their minds and they let us know who they're going to go with. And regardless if he is a good or bad coach, no one's going to be happy and we're going to end up liking him until he is kicked out or fired or he is out. I mean, it's typically how it runs because apparently the life expectancy is not that long. So we can have to just adjust <laughs> and hope for the best. Okay. Well, guys, thank you for listening. Tom, if they ha if they don't follow you already, where can they find you at? 
uh, at tomh underscore 36. And yourself? You can find me on Twitter at Torres underscore seven. Um, so you guys can follow us there for all the Yamekis, El Tri, and Mexican Abroad activity. Um, thank you guys for listening, and we hope to um, do another episode next week. Catch you then. <laughs>